Winter was here, but we're just getting started here on the first episode of our full seven-season Game of Thrones rewatch here on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the two guys who are always a hit at Dothraki Weddings. I am Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I am very dull at Dothraki weddings. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, the more deaths that occur, the more I want to leave. I just mm. call my Druber and get out of We're there. We're easy marks at the Dothraki wedding. We're sort of, like, hanging out by the rotten hearts, picking a little bit. And somebody's like, boy, this wedding is slowing down. We need to kill a couple of people. Those guys look like easy marks. They don't even have braids. Let's get them. Yeah, we're braidless. So that's their. That's our first thing. I think if we're going to Dothraki weddings, we want to make sure that we at least bring clip-ons, I think. Sure, yeah, uh, clip-ons are good. I think you want a clip-on Very braid frowned for upon sure. in Dothraki culture. But, you know, aside from the fact that I would just be fearing for my life the entire time, the food isn't so good. You know, it's just like horse hearts and horse meat. I'm not really into it. Not feeling it. So let's just get this out of the way, because I think there's a lot of people who are listening to this like, ah, I I, am. I going to get spoiled or uh, I hope there's spoilers because I've seen everything. Josh, can you lay out right now what people are in store for here, at least in the beginning of this podcast? Sure. Well, welcome to Winter Was Here. This is our official rewatch of all of Game of Thrones. Uh, where, as we are recording this, we have only six episodes left before Game of Thrones completely wrapped. Seventh season ended just a couple of weeks ago, and the rumor is it's going to be a long off season, potentially as late as uh, end of 2018, maybe beginning of 2019. Nobody really knows when Game of Thrones is going to air those final six episodes. So we want to keep the ball rolling, the snowball rolling, as it were. Uh, it's a very long stretch between new episodes of Game of Thrones and this is the last off season that we're ever going to have when it comes to Game of Thrones until a bunch of spin-off shows and successor shows that are supposedly in the works. But this is our only guaranteed final off season between seasons of Game of Thrones. So what better time than now to go back through all of Game of Thrones and survey the land and look at all these different characters and all these different storylines that were being set up along the way given everything that we know now. So we're doing that in collaboration with my home base at the Hollywood Reporter and Post Show Recaps, teaming up once again for some Game of Thrones podcasting. And we're going to try and uh, kill two birds with one stone, Rob. I think we are going to try and satisfy the people who have never watched a single episode of Game of Thrones before, and also the people who have been really deeply in on the Game of Thrones. So we are going to spend the first few minutes of every podcast talking about the week's episode in a spoiler-free context. Who knows how long we will actually spend on that section of the show, but we'll spend some time on that in case you're just deciding to dip your toes into the Game of Thrones pond for the first time. And then we will go full tilt spoiler mode. We will make sure to sound the alarm Blow the horn, as it were, as soon as we get to that section. And we'll talk about the episode and the developments from the episode and character moments and ironic quotes and all of these things that are particularly noteworthy now, given everything that we know through seven seasons of Game of Thrones. So it should be fairly extensive. It should be fairly elaborate. It's going to be weekly. And who knows? Like we might be. Who knows if we're going to be tapping our feet by the end of this thing if we finish the rewatch before the final season We'll go back and do it again. Top of the order. You know, we'll have to figure that out. But that's where we are as it stands. This is the first episode of that rewatch project. Anything that I didn't set up, Rob? No, I think that you did a fantastic job setting this up. So to those of you who have never watched Game of Thrones before, welcome aboard. We are going to hold your hand through trying to make sense of a lot of this. There's a lot of characters that are out there. Things are confusing, houses and things of all that nature. But we are definitely going to have enough fun with the source material here that it is going to be worth your time if you've seen this all before as well. And you and I have uh, started podcasting after season four. And then uh, we did episodes of for, you know, uh, four, five, six, seven. We also went back and had done season three as a lead up to season four. But we were spoiling things about season three. 
And that wasn't good. We didn't put as much thought into that as we have into this. We've thought about it further in the time since then. We've grown as podcasters. We've matured as we've traveled around the Seven Kingdoms. I don't think mature is the right word. I don't think that there's much we've that's gotten mature. Older. And we've gotten older. We've and aged better. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I wasn't going to say anything. But, Rob, you might want to work out. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, yeah. No. So, we've, we've grown. We have changed. We have a game plan in place. And you and I have never talked about the first two seasons of Game of Thrones at all except in the abstract uh so that'll be really fun this these first 20 episodes these first 20 weeks of this podcast will be completely new material for us to talk about on a granular level uh and then we'll start getting into the territory of episodes we've already covered but we will be covering them with a new context of everything that we know about where the show is going past those points so i do think it's going to be really fun and i think it's just going to be a guaranteed way that you are going to have new thoughts on old game of thrones in your ears for the next next year or so right uh so that should be pretty fun i hope if you like rob and i talking about game of thrones i think that you're gonna get a kick out of this podcast one other thing just to open it up we will also take your questions as we go through this you can email us every week got at postshowrecaps.com be careful with the comments that you leave on postshowrecaps.com or i should say probably if you are a person who is watching this for the first time through i maybe avoid the comments uh you know the comments are dark and full of uh, spoilers at times. So uh, possibly uh, you don't want to end up seeing something inadvertently. And of course, you can get every single episode of this podcast series in our podcast feed on iTunes. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. Postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. So let's dive into this, man. Where do we start? How do we even want to begin? Winter is coming, Rob. Yes. Josh, do you want to speak up top to why Game of Thrones at all? Why has this show resonated with so many people around the globe? What is it about this particular story? It's really hard to know because like Game of Thrones is sort of like the great signal that the nerds have won. Uh, and I say that as part of the community. You know, this is, uh, you know, I remember, you know, being a kid in like, you know, the 90s, late 80s and like wondering like, Where's my, you know, like I, I like high fantasy stuff. I love playing Final Fantasy video games. I love swords and sorcery, but it just wasn't really a widely popular thing. Uh, Lord of the Rings comes out in terms of the films, and I think that those are embraced really widely. And then suddenly Game of Thrones comes along and you have a new TV show that is unlike anything that anyone had ever seen on this scale, even from the jump, you get that in this first episode that we're going to talk about today. So I think that there's just something that is like, it's, it's tapping into something that maybe uh, is cooler than people would have cared to admit once upon a time. I think that there is just a scale and a sense of epicness to the story that's being told here. It is a high fantasy series uh, filled with really rich characters and rich writing and shocking plot twists there is a sense of realism to the actions that people uh take and the decisions that people make and consequences coming back to haunt you that element of the storytelling i think is something that has really hooked people in i think just the combination of this is something that looks exciting and looks different from anything that you're going to get on tv and then once you start digging into it and you start realizing that this is a pretty complicated tale with some really complicated figures in the midst. I think that that really resonated with people. Uh, also, HBO has a hell of a marketing team. So they have a hell of a marketing team. <laughs> I think yeah. that helps. I think they've got a good PR team. And as you mentioned, you know, high fantasy fair. But I feel like that prior to Game of Thrones, I think that the types of stories that you would see in this genre were not necessarily adult stories. And this is a story that features a lot of violence, a lot of sex, a lot of political intrigue, a lot of uh, really nefarious uh, characters in the story. I mean, we got to see a, a young boy pushed out a window at the end of this episode. So there is going to be some uh, real stuff happening here, and it's not going to be for the faint of heart. Well, it's the HBOification of the fantasy genre. You know, like this is it's very comfortable within the HBO catalog. 
block. HBO is really, you know, identified as kind of the king of the peak TV era and the golden age of television, what with The Sopranos and The Wire. And I'll always even champion Oz every time that I get a chance to talk about Oz, where there's just so much uh, happening on your screen that you would never expect to see on a television set. Lots of nudity, lots of violence, very, very mature subject matter being told. And that's happening all over the place here on Game of Thrones in a genre where you don't normally expect that. But credit where it is absolutely most assuredly do. Uh, Game of Thrones originally stems from the brain of one person, and that is George R.R. R. Martin, who is the author of a series of novels called A Song of Ice and Fire, which is what Game of Thrones is based on. Uh, a planned series of seven books total. Only five of them exist in actuality right now, but hopefully two more are on their way. Uh, and this story started, uh, I believe George R. R. Martin wrote his first outline for this series i think back in like 93 1993 or somewhere around there the first book comes out in 1996 and the most recently published book has come out in 2011 uh the summer after the first season of game of thrones uh debuted uh so this all comes from this guy you know when when you see upsetting plot developments on this show when you start losing potentially characters that you do not want to lose or you know whenever something happens that makes you upset you should blame george r r martin first he is the person who dreamed these things up and likewise when you see something that just gets your arms shooting up into the air and you're so excited about what you've just seen on television a lot of that comes from him as well so he's the granddaddy of this show he is the man from which all of this uh sprung out of his brain and onto your television screen so all props to george r, r. martin for setting the tone creating the story creating the world creating these characters and then lots and lots of credit of course to david benioff and dan weiss the co-creators and showrunners of game of thrones the TV series and their entire team. Uh, it's a really massive effort. It's a show that's shot across multiple countries, uh, di different continents even. It is a production. It is a, a heavy, heavy production, the likes of which we've really never seen on television before. I think it's also worth adding that this first season is adapted from the first book, and then the second season is adapted from the second book, and then things start to get a little wonky after that. But at least that yeah. over the course of these 10 episodes, this is uh, pretty much... Uh, uh, very faithful to uh, the first book, uh, A Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin. Yeah, with some, you know, uh, exceptions here and there, like some details that you just can't adapt from the book because of budgetary reasons or uh, trying to streamline the story a little bit. But if you're so interested in getting into Game of Thrones and you want to read the books concurrently with watching the show for the first time, Rob's exactly right. The first season matches pretty well with the first book and the second season with the second book and the third and fourth seasons match up quite well with the third book. Uh, and then it really starts to kind of go off the rails just a touch. Uh, so that's, you know, you're kind of just in the in the waters of like nobody really knows what the hell is going on anymore <laughs> by, by the time you reach the fifth season. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun. It's a really rich world. Uh, there's a it's a it's a it's a it's a daunting world as well, because there are so many different people and so many different names and, you know, countries and cities with their own cultures that are very highly realized that you're probably going to want to go and google and learn more about don't do that i don't recommend that you do that because that's a very easy way to spoil yourself on a lot of uh the show and a lot of the surprises so hopefully we can clear some of that stuff up for you without you uh dipping into the spoiler waters it's a it's a it's a tough show to to really do your research into until you've seen the whole thing so just try to follow along try to pay attention to the character names and we'll be talking about them a lot so hopefully you'll you'll get them josh is there anything else you want to set up about this world before we get into some of the plot developments from this episode um no i mean i think just very generally game of thrones takes place in a world that uh i don't believe that there is an official name for the planet on which game of thrones planetos. takes place planetos is sort of like the 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 name for it that i think the fans have given it i don't think that it's the official name of the planet mm. but you can call it planetos and we can call it planetos planetios is maybe uh, an alternate title for what this project could have been mm -hmm. 
but the main action takes place in a continent uh, and a country called Westeros, also known as the Seven Kingdoms, where there are all of these different regions within this kind of, um, you know, European like place, this feudal society where everybody is answering to the king who sits on the Iron Throne. That is Robert Baratheon, who you meet in this episode uh, and the Stark family who we're going to meet in this episode. They reign in the north and the Lannisters are all the way out on the on the western side of the continent. So there's all sorts of different people who are very territorial and there's going to be a lot of uh, contention in terms of power struggles and interpolitical fighting. And then there's also going to be storylines that take place on a continent across from Westeros called Essos, which is the place where you're going to see the Daenerys Targaryen storyline from this episode. So uh, lots again, like we're going to we'll catalog these places as we get to them, because there's a lot of information and a lot of different names and it can get very confusing if you don't track them all. The other part of this story, which I think can be a lot to handle for a new viewer, is that there is a very rich backstory that gets very much fleshed out of things that happened anywhere from 20 to 30 years before the events of the series. You're going to eventually be intimately familiar with all of these people who are long gone by the time that the show starts based on the stories and mythology and the reasons why people hate each other, talking about these characters who never existed in this show. So there is a lot to sort of keep keep track of in terms of the reasons of how Robert got to become the king of Westeros. Yeah, and I'm sure that we can even talk about some of that in this episode, uh, because a lot of that ancient history is really reverberating throughout the tensions between the Starks and the Lannisters clearly don't seem to like each other very much. If the Starks ever catch wind of what Jamie does to poor Bran by the end of this episode, you can't imagine that's going to sit very well. So yeah, like ancient tensions definitely fuel the the modern context of Game of Thrones in a very big way. Yeah, but in terms of the houses that you need to really pay attention to, here in the beginning, you have the Starks, who are in the north. Then you have the Lannisters, uh, which are Cersei and Jaime, and the Baratheons, uh, which is Robert, and Robert is married to Cersei. So she is, uh, you know, Lannister by birth, but she is married to King Baratheon. Yeah, she's married into the Baratheon family, and Robert is the first Baratheon king coming into Game of Thrones. He is the first person not named Targaryen to be sitting upon the Iron Throne, at least in official context. The Targaryens were the were the family that had been in charge of Westeros ever since the Seven Kingdoms were united. Once upon a time, they were all just kind of it was the wild Westeros. You know, it was nobody was really under the same roof. And this guy called Aegon the Conqueror settles Westeros and settles everybody down and centuries later a rebellion occurs the details of which we can get into over the course of these podcasts uh, where Robert Baratheon who is Ned Stark's oldest friend the two of them are at the front of that war effort and Robert Baratheon ends up being the guy who sits on the Iron Throne after their victory. Uh, and that's it basically for the Targaryens who are like this, you know, uh, very proud family, a volatile family where some of the Targaryens were really, really awesome. And some of them, including the final Targaryen king, were really not so awesome. They were closely associated with dragons and fire and magic and all sorts of cool fantasy stuff. Which was how and they took it, over Westeros in the first place. Yeah, they showed up with three dragons. It's kind of hard to compete against that. So the three dragons really gave them an edge and they were able to to rally Westeros behind them as a result of that. But when Game of Thrones starts, there's really only two Targaryens left. Uh, and those are the characters that you're meeting in the Daenerys Targaryen storyline. Uh, she and her brother Viserys. This Viserys character... He's just a, he's just a terrible, terrible person. Worst person on the show so far, by far. Worse than Jamie? Uh, Jamie's pretty bad as well. They're both pretty terrible. Also, the Dothraki are all pretty terrible. There's a lot of really bad people <laughs> in Game of Thrones. Lots of really, really terrible people. I think another thing that could use some explanation is the idea of the wall 
it's talked about. It's not really seen other than the tunnel that uh, we see some characters go through at the beginning of the story. Can you explain what the wall is for a new viewer? Sure. So this great magical wall of ice that you're seeing in this first scene of the series, it is just straight up called the wall. And the wall separates uh, the entirety of civilized Westeros uh, civilization, the, you know, the seven kingdoms as we know it from all of the possible dangers north of the wall. Uh, that is a, a land that is known as the land of always winter is really deep past the wall. Uh, before you get to that area, there's just kind of like, again, the wild Westeros to it, to an extent where there are a lot of people called wildlings and free folk and people who do not adhere to the rules of the seven kingdoms that are being kept at bay by an organization called the night's watch. That's where uncle Benjamin Stark, who shows up and hangs out with a young fellow named Jon Snow in this first episode. That's where he comes from. And so that's their purpose, is that they are sitting on the wall and making sure that Westeros is protected from ancient threats that possibly could still be lurking back there. Though by the time that we're picking up the story in Game of Thrones, nobody really thinks that any of these kind of like mythical monsters from thousands and thousands of years ago still exist. Of course, the very first scene of the entire series lets us know as a viewer, yeah, there's something happening here, something pretty bad and something pretty scary and something, you know, pretty messed up with why are all these bodies arranged in these weird ways and these terrible circles and what is this you know, monstrous ice crackling that you're hearing through the air? And why is that dead person wandering around? So we know definitively that there is something supernatural happening beyond the wall. But the wider world of the of the characters in Game of Thrones, maybe it's not so much on their radar right now. Yeah. And the people who end up serving at the wall, the Night's Watch are mostly made up of people that are either refugees from something or sent there as prisoners. It's sort of like a uh, way that you can do some uh, instead of, you know, getting thrown into a jail, you can go and serve on the Night's Watch. So they'll basically take whatever they can get in terms of people who work up at the Night's Watch. They would even take you and me. Like, you and I could even go to the Night's Watch. Like, hey, you guys are like warm-blooded human beings. Sure, we'll take yeah. Right, right. The Night's Watch has definitely seen better days, Josh. Uh, they are in a, a bit of a rut, and unfortunately, uh, their best days are behind them. Yeah, the salad days of the Night's Watch are in the past, and they are currently just like hanging on. They're just doing what they can. They're not really getting funded. Uh, it seems like now would be a good time to fund these people. We'll see if that happens. Uh, but yeah, so that's the situation with what's going on at the wall. And clearly this first scene, truly a cold open, Rob, yeah. uh, really, really clues us into the fact that this is going to be a show that is dealing with a lot of like political wheeling and dealing and a lot of murder intrigue, as we're seeing with this whole John Aaron mystery that is being put forward by the end of the first hour of the entire series. But there's clearly something a lot more menacing lurking in the distance, and that's something worth keeping an eye on for sure. All right, Josh, is there anything else that you want to set up before we are allowed to speak more freely about this first episode of Game of Thrones? No, let's let's do it. I mean, watch that first episode. I'm, I'm assuming that you have at this point. Join us next week. We'll talk about the second one. We'll start clarifying a few of the things that you're seeing in that episode. But otherwise, now we're getting into the part where you shouldn't listen any further unless you've seen everything on Game of Thrones through seven seasons. We're going to get into super spoiler territory. Okay, so when you hear this sound from the Horn of Winter... That means no more that you are not safe to listen anymore. The spoilers are coming, and you should get out now. Oh my god, the buzzer of winter Okay, so that was real. This was not a test, okay? All right, so that's it. That's it. No more. No more. Oh, man. All right. So we're officially beyond the wall. So like if anyone uh, hasn't gotten out in time, like they're going to be really upset when I say like every single character is dead by the end of the (laughs) first season. Everyone you care about. All of them are gone. Everyone you care about. Okay. No, seriously. No, seriously. Get out of here. Go, go, go. go. We're really going to start talking about stuff in a second here. Josh, uh, very excited. So there's actually a lot of things that have some major ramifications throughout the next seven seasons of the show or the following six seasons of the show. in this first episode of Game of Thrones. It's a really fun episode to go back and watch, uh, you know, being right on the edge of the finale right now. Like, it's really impressive. I know that there was a lot of, like, production hiccups behind this first episode, even some recasting. Can you speak uh, I think to Michelle- that? 
Yeah, as as much as I know, and I don't know a ton about it, honestly, uh, I know that at least like Michelle Fairley, who plays Catwin Stark, was not the original actress to play Catwin Stark. Amelia Clark was not the original Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, so there was some recasting. I don't think that they were super happy, HBO or even Benioff and Weiss, perhaps even Martin, were happy with the first episode produced. So there was a lot of reshooting along the way in the first season. You don't really, at least I don't really catch much of a whiff of those hiccups here uh, as we're watching this first episode. It's such a compelling first episode of the show. But there are some interesting uh, things here. For me, uh, Tyrion Lannister's look here in this premiere episode (laughs) is is so funny every time I've rewatched this. There is like a real uh, adherence to a lot of the... um, I I know that there have been stories about like just like sort of like the faithfulness to the way that Martin wrote the characters in the books in these first seasons or at least the first season of the show. And Tyrion's a Aesthetic is one of them and it's easy to forget because Peter Dinklage has been allowed to have just like brown hair big beard over the years but yeah he starts out with this like stark blonde hair Lannister uh, or blonde even hair. like yeah yeah or like even Targaryen blonde hair potentially I know that there are the people out there who still really feel like there's a Tyrion Targaryen theory and his hair is almost more Targaryen than it is Lannister uh, but yeah he looks like a goof mm-hmm. uh, and his his very first scene of the entire series is very, very odd and goofy given like the dark journey we know that Tyrion's going to go on. Yeah. I really am surprised that the uh, Starks allow for these brothels to really under Ned's, like the Honorable Ned Stark. Like I'm surprised that there is like a flourishing brothel business. Yeah. Well, I think it's like in the winter town. It's like not directly under like his immediate priority list. I don't think it's like within Winterfell proper that this is going on. But, uh, you know, Ned's also kind of like, hey, you got to make a living probably. Like, uh, just be safe. Everyone be cool. Everyone be be healthy. <laughs> be healthy. Okay. Uh, isn't it nice to see Ned Stark again, by the way? First time we've been seeing this guy in action sure. in a long time. Well, it's nice to see everybody again and not by way of warging or like a three-eyed <laughs> yeah. raven. It's nice to see everybody happy and healthy and alive. So uh, that's really fun in terms of just visiting with everybody. Um, Josh, the episode opens up with this scene that is beyond the wall and to me i just trying to reconcile okay now that i've like kind of know what's going on with with the white walkers and everything like that it seems like that this scene is taking place directly on the other side of the wall and it feels like that at least in terms of the location of the white walkers that seems off to me i was watching this with a friend and he commented like so the white walkers haven't been acting in thousands and thousands of years like what have they been doing uh and like why are they just hanging out here on this side of the wall like why are they being so casual about it like what has been going on with these creatures and fair questions all i do think that you know what we're seeing on game of thrones throughout these seven seasons is like the slow slow build-up of an unstoppable force of the dead uh but i i think that like there is like almost like a sense of like trying to to lure the night's watch out like to like kind of like start issuing some threats of like hey we're we're able to get this close to you guys and there's nothing that you're going to be able to do about it like they let that guy go right like they Mm -hmm. let will run uh like how else does he extricate himself from that situation so you gotta imagine that you know maybe the night king has like a good sense of humor he's like yeah just let him know like it doesn't even matter if they know like just let it give him like a like no one's gonna believe that this is happening which is like you know Uh, scare the bejesus out of these people a little bit. Right. I think that's a good through line to follow in terms of how omniscient is the Night King. It's something that came up in season seven when we talk about, okay, did he want everybody to come north so that Danny would come so that he could kill Viserion, have an ice dragon, so he can get across the wall. So was all of this part of what they wanted to do? Right. Yeah. No, fair question. Uh, So I think that that'll be fun to like kind of as much as we can track the White Walker motivations, but we're not going to have a ton of uh, of material to mine in that regard. I don't think in the first in the season. Dragon Glass mine in the Dragon Glass mine. Yeah, it's a long time before we get to Dragonstone too. At least ten weeks before we get to Dragonstone, Rob. Okay. Did you did you notice uh, the uh, the connection to uh, to somebody that we've only really been meeting uh, over the past like two or three seasons uh, here in this first scene of Game of Thrones, Rob? 
Yes, the guy who is leading this ranging mission here, uh, that uh, he is Waymar Royce, and he turns out to be the son of Jan Royce, who we will uh, meet in the Eerie in future seasons. And uh, he would not give Littlefinger a ride home in the most recent episode of Game of Thrones. No, he was pretty thumbs down on Littlefinger for sure. Uh, so, yeah, so I think I just kind of think it's interesting that we start at the, you know, we start with the veil. Like, that's the first, uh, you know, like we start with somebody who represents that corner of Westeros here in our very first scene of the show. I don't know if there's like going to be like, any greater ultimate significance to the fact that like that's the first kind of character that you see uh here on the show other than i think it's also interesting that you know the veil is also the root for the political conflict that spirals out you know the death of john aaron is going to be the thing that really kicks things into higher gear so that's kind of fun um but weren't you telling me recently that there's like some like sweet robin is the key to everything theory so i wonder like is this giving it any validation the fact that we're starting with people from the veil as our first characters here on game of thrones the thing about game of thrones theories is that there is a almost like a parallel universe where that every single possible thing that could happen there is a game of thrones theory for that and everyone starts off by saying that this game of thrones theory makes so much sense it has to be true guilty yes and then but but it's like every possible outcome of thing that could happen you know that they, they, they can't all possibly be true infinite realities infinite theories of game of thrones are existing in this universe yeah too many and really until uh, you know i guess they're all true until we see the show or uh, then i guess i get the books well that's the that's the exciting part that's yes. why you know we've got nothing but time to speculate right now until this is all over six episodes to decide the fate of all of these theories it's a real schrodinger's cat star <laughs> <laughs> try to spell that for the hashtag oh no it's not gonna be the hashtag okay. there's no way <laughs> let's check in with all of these different characters that we get to meet uh for the first time of course uh ned stark who uh we are led to believe uh, will be at the center of this story and he is for a while we have a good run with ned yeah he's the main character for a good stretch here uh and i i you know he's a he's a great avatar for where the show goes thematically of you know nobody is safe certainly not in the earlier seasons and like even the person who seems like your batman can get killed you know like even the person who seems like he is the detective at the heart of this noir thriller can die early and the show will continue on so he's a cautionary tale in a lot of ways one of the things that i like to to uh, try and track when I'm like starting a season of Game of Thrones is like, what is the first thing I'm seeing with a character and how is that going to inform what we see from that character at the end of the season? Like is the first impression we get of a character in a season going to somehow mirror the final impression you get of that character in a given season? I think that it doesn't always one-to-one out, but I think it often does track. And even within the context of this first episode in this first season, you see a decent amount of that. Like the first major impression that you get of Ned Stark on Game of Thrones is him passing the judgment and swinging the sword on somebody and beheading somebody. And of course, that's an echo of what's coming up down the line for Ned, where he's going to exit the show by being beheaded himself. Mm-hmm. Even even with Daenerys in this first, uh, in her first scene, she is, uh, you know, she's essentially stripped naked and she walks into something impossibly hot yeah. and she she is able to basically be completely unscathed. And that's sort of calling the shot of the final image we'll get of Daenerys in this season. So I, I think that maybe as we're trying to think about like, where is game of Thrones going for its final season? I think that there's some utility to like stopping down and thinking about what are our first impressions of these characters here in this very first episode And can we start calling some shots of what that might inform for our final, final impressions of them, not just in this season, but where we think they might be going overall? Uh, That's really great. You know, I had never thought about those things or thought about it in those terms, but that's really fun to go back and take a look at that. 
Yeah, I think like, you know, the first thing that you see of Bran Stark, he's like trying to to like hit a target. You know, he's trying to like shoot an arrow and hit this thing and he's missing and he's missing. Uh, and it makes you wonder, like, is it going to require like Jon Snow is there? He's like trying to guide him through it. Is it going to require some sort of collaboration with his brother or his, you know, his uh, his cousin, I guess, uh, or his family to like complete the job or the fact that the very first thing that you see from Sansa Stark is that she's being essentially praised by the people of Winterfell for her needlework and for her like gifts in in sewing and her ladylike abilities and she talks about how she wants nothing more in the world than to be a queen are we setting the stage for the fact that maybe that's somewhere she could be going at some point down the line uh, or the fact that Jamie and Cersei's very first scene in Game of Thrones is talking about how uh, do you think like Robert knows what John Aaron was suspecting that you and I are uh, in bed together and like we're doing the incest thing. Uh, do you think that that's something that he knows? And they're like, no, if he knew that we'd be dead, like if anyone finds out about us, we're dead. And it makes me wonder like, okay, so will the final impression of these characters be that like their relationship will get them killed? Is that something that is going to lead to their deaths? And then if, it, if the first scene of Tyrion is somehow calling the shot on the final scene of Tyrion, I don't even want to begin imagining what our last oh, no. book on, on Peter Dinklage is going to be, but it could be pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. Josh, I want to talk about the dire wolf scene because that I think is a very important moment from uh, this first episode where we end up with everybody going from the beheading of Will and then finding a dire wolf which is on the wrong side of the wall and has appeared to be gored by a uh, some something with antlers, which I guess is more symbolism of ultimately that uh, getting involved with the Baratheons is going to ultimately get a bunch of Starks killed. Am I uh, right. reading too much into that? No, I think that that's totally right. Like it was there was some sort of fight between a stag and the direwolf mother seems to have been the death of both of them. Uh, and it's like, yeah, you know, the Baratheons and the Starks finally getting together after all of these years apart. It's gonna it's gonna lead to a lot of bad things for everybody involved but as sansa says in the season seven finale the lone wolf dies but the pack survives so we see a little pack of dire wolves have made it out here and of course uh only two of them are, are still alive so it's, it's, it's ominous bad foreshadowing yeah Josh, the whole business, though, with the dire wolves is that they come up upon this dire wolf. And this is a really rare occurrence, right? That this is a big deal that the dire wolf is south of the wall. That's not supposed to happen. And there are all these cubs that are there, which are trying to at least, you know, feed from the uh, dead mom that's there. And it's John, who is the one who, as Ned is saying that it's time to exterminate all these. John is the one that has to remind Ned about the importance of these dire wolves. I have a clip from this. Good stuff. There were five pups, one for each of the Stark children. The direwolf is a sigil of your house. They were meant to have them. I do feel like it's a little weird that John needs to remind Ned Stark, like, uh, <laughs> you know? It's funny, though. Like, uh, isn't that the symbol of your house? Like, oh, yeah. You know, now that you mention it, it is. I mean, it would be like if you and your kids, Josh, stumbled onto like six pizza boxes right. that were there. <laughs> and you were like, oh, uh, pizza in the middle of the road. Throw it out. Just get rid of it. Like, uh, father, father, uh, isn't the pizza box the symbol of House Wiggler? Yeah, indeed it is, by the way. It, cer it certainly, certainly is. No slice left behind, is our, those are our house words. Uh, but I, I think that, look, the thing about Ned Stark and the fiction that the, the first season tries to sell you on is that this is the guy, but we know that he's not the guy. We know that he's only going to make it nine episodes and he's going to get his head cut off for all of his troubles. And I think it's something that you hear a lot about throughout the show, as recently as this uh, penultimate season, when John is gearing up to go and meet Daenerys 
for the first time. And they're talking about how like bad things happen to Starks when they go south. Like Catelyn even says that mm-hmm. in this very episode. Uh, and we had Sansa say to John at one point, like, I miss father. I miss Rob tremendously. Uh, but they, as much as they were fantastic human beings, they're also kind of dumb. And sometimes they just like, they wouldn't forget. really, they forget stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, there might be an element to Ned Stark where he doesn't have like that true like appreciation for like you know i don't think that he has that like sentimentality um but i think what's more uh fun to watch knowing that Jon snow is really going to be like the main character of the show such as the show has a main character he's really right in the center of it uh and he's going to have this moment where he is saving the dire wolves from being uh executed and he is believing in a mystical mythical sign uh this is somebody who we know is going to be at the forefront of the white walker war he is going to be the guy who is banging that drum all the way down to king's landing with the white and everything and he is going to be the guy who's trying to rally everybody in this great cause against this huge supernatural enemy but from the very jump you know from one of our very first impressions of john He's somebody who is a believer. He's somebody who will believe in uh, in extreme extreme symbols if they present themselves. So uh, maybe it won't be so hard to convince him he's a Targaryen eventually. Maybe he's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, honestly, the more I think about it, I like it. And then Jon Snow ends up getting the one left behind. Uh, Theon, I'm not sure why he's being such a jerk here, where he's like, uh, you get the runt of the litter, Snow. Yeah, because Theon doesn't get anything. Yeah, I guess so. He has to hold like Arya's direwolf, you know? Yeah. So, of course, he's going to be pissed. You know, he's not going to be happy about that. We see for the first time everything going on in uh, the Daenerys storyline, going on everything in uh, Pentos, which ultimately culminates in the Dothraki wedding we were talking about at the top of the show. Josh, the, the show doesn't really explore too much of the motivations of Ilario. Uh Why do you think that that is? I don't know, uh, which is a shame because he's not that he's like a really big character in the books or anything like that, but he's certainly more important. And he, in fact, is at the heart of, as you said before, all theories are, are real until proven otherwise. But this one is actually a fairly compelling theory about a storyline that's in the books that's not not on the show uh, that involves like fake Targaryens potentially or like a secret Targaryen that is being shuttled into the mix. And Illyrio is very much at the center of that idea and is very much like a prominent uh, key co-conspirator in let's restore the Targaryens to power. Um, I don't know. Maybe they just like didn't really nail it on the casting with this guy. He only shows up one other time on Game of Thrones that I can think of. Uh, but it's not like Game of Thrones ever shied away from recasting people. Uh, Beric Dondarrion. There's two two Beric Dondarrions. There's three mountains and so on and so forth. Uh, and this guy being like massively wealthy and team Targaryen all the way. It really would have been nice. And especially if we wanted to see like more stuff from Varys. Wouldn't it have been nice if Daenerys like stopped in and like got some more resources from this super wealthy dude from Pentos who she met once upon a time? They could recast him if they needed to. Now, in terms of the dragon eggs being gifted to Danny, were they just gifted to her as, hey, you're a Targaryen? We found these dragon eggs. We had these. You should have them. Or was there some sort of a purpose for getting Danny the dragon eggs? I think it's more ornamental. Yeah. And I think that it's just like kind of like a sign of prophecy and destiny that she's going to be able to like give life to these things for the first time in forever. I don't think that there's like any like Danny's going to be the one who's going to turn these into dragons again. I think when they say like these are stone, I think that they genuinely believe that. I don't think that there's anything like that far in terms of the we're going to bring to to prominence and power here. I think that this team really is backing Viserys Targaryen for better or for worse, even though this guy is an uber douche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he certainly is. And uh, really so douchey in terms of how he's talking to Danny in this first episode. Uh, we get to see for the first time Khal Drogo as well. And uh, that was fun to have uh, Khal Drogo back in the mix. Nice to have Carl back in the building. Carl, good to see you. Yes. Carl Drogo. Uh, love that guy. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, like the the whole scene with him and Danny towards the end of the episode is still uncomfortable and still, I think, shot poorly and done poorly. Uh, but what's that going to you know, what are you going to do about that? Jason Momoa is really magnetic as this character. Um, because and I good, think- just to touch on that, that it, correct me if I'm wrong, that in the books that that is depicted differently, correct? Yeah, it's depicted differently. The sex scene between Drogo and Danny. It's been a, it's been a minute since I've read it, honestly. Um, but I but I do think that it's certainly presented in a way where it's more consensual than how it's depicted on the show, uh, which is kind of par for the course. Like this is not the first time. I mean, th- this is literally the first time that it happens. It won't on Game be Thrones, the last time, but it won't be the last. They struggle time. Yeah. with this. Yeah, it's not their it's not their shining spot for sure. One of the fun things I think to do as we go through this, Josh, is to sort of track what we actually know about the story versus what is being presented to us here in this episode. So, of course, as we will find out in future seasons that Littlefinger got Lysa Aaron to poison John Aaron and then had Lysa Aaron send this note to Cat Stark to really get the ball rolling on what will be the War of Five Kings. Really complicated. And like he must he knew about like their secret language and stuff. Like, oh my God, this little finger. There's no plan that would be able to pull the rug out from Littlefinger. Definitely, based on the the levels of complexity going and uh, going on in this manipulation. Yes. And the thing that really does throw this off is that there is a pretty incriminating conversation that is had by Cersei and Jamie, where they're talking about, Do you think that John Aaron knew? So kind of leading us in the wrong direction direction based on the reveal that we ultimately will have right they did not have anything to do with the death of john aaron right they might have wanted him nothing yeah but they didn't have anything to do with it yeah exactly like john aaron's investigating them john aaron's looking into like the the hunch that there's uh that there's something amiss with the lannister children or the baratheon children who are secretly lannister children uh so I, i i mean obviously they're they're setting up the idea that these two feel like the main culprits. And I think that a lot of that is, you know, preserving a later reveal and also I think getting you disarmed for when Jamie starts taking a little bit more of a heroic turn later on down the line. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of misdirecting going on with this storyline and it doesn't become any clearer really, I think, until season four, pretty much when Littlefinger just like kind of fesses up to the whole thing. Yeah, it is a real misdirect because you would think that Jamie and Cersei would be like, boy, it's a good thing John Aaron died because he was really, uh, you know, looking into a lot of things that he shouldn't have been. So uh, this is, you know, for us, this is actually a pretty good thing that he died. I mean, uh, uh, we didn't kill him, obviously, but glad somebody else took care of this mess for us. It was close. Close call. Close, <laughs> close call. Very close it call. A, it was a close call. Speaking of close, Rob, did you like that uh, Tyrion in the scene where he's in the brothel? That scene ends with him saying, close the door. Close the door. Close the yeah. door. Yeah. Clodor. Clodor, indeed. Clodor. So that was a bit of a sign of what was to come for uh, Tyrion uh, and well, Hodor. Ma- yeah. Maybe that is foreshadowing that Tyrion's final fate is that he will end this series as Clodor. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Also, with knowing everything that we've come to know officially about Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna, uh, Robert Baratheon does come off looking like a, a major doofus in terms of like, oh, Lyanna, she that was she was the one. She was the one that got away. Yeah, he was really unplugged in terms of what actually <laughs> happened over there. And Ned yeah. must just be like, oh, man, if only you if knew, only you buddy. knew. Bro, oh, she wasn't that gosh. into you. No, really not. Really not feeling it at all. Uh, But this is kind of an interesting scene, this scene in the crypt between Robert and Ned in the context of what we've gotten through uh, seven seasons of the show and the final episode that we've seen, uh, The Dragon and the Wolf, the season seven finale, where it comes out that... Uh, before she died, Lyanna Stark straight up told Ned, John is named Aegon Targaryen. So you got to imagine that Ned knows that not only is John, uh, you know, of Targaryen descent, but he is a legitimate Targaryen. And Ned, who is this guy who's supposed to be kind of like this picture of honor and duty and loyalty and everything like that, he says to Robert here, like, but, you know, don't worry about it. Like, the Targaryens are gone. So on this matter, on this subject at least, like Ned Stark, 
I don't want to say had no trouble lying through his teeth about this, you know, particular topic, the Targaryen topic, but he's certainly lying through his teeth in this moment. Maybe not easily, but he very much is lying horribly to his best friend, Robert Baratheon. Robert Baratheon was uh, pretty classic during the feast that they end up having where, you know, they're having this big party at Winterfell and Robert Baratheon's almost just like straight up making out with different wenches at the uh, party. He's a filthy guy. He's a filthy guy. You know, speaking of like, just like, kind of like right there, there's just lots of bad looks, you know, for, for King Robert, for Bobby B here. Uh, there's that. It's just not great to be doing that. So publicly, he's completely wrong about Rhaegar Targaryen. Uh, he has the whole you got fat line to Ned, which is, you know, obviously just like a funny line. And it's Robert who's gotten fat and not Ned. Uh, but like just like, again, like kind of a further reflection on how far he's fallen. Yeah, but Ned's he, eyebrow back to Robert there is uh, amazing. Pretty clutch. Yeah, pretty clutch. But he, he also like says to Bran, oh yeah, Bran, you're going to be a soldier. Like, nope, swing and a miss. You missed that one too. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like all of his reads are wildly wrong for uh, for Bobby B. The You Got Fat line is pretty fun too in connection to John and Gendry meeting for the first time uh, yeah. in season seven. The scenes are kind of similar. What What are some other pieces of dialogue that jumped out to you in this first episode? I, I love uh, Benjen Stark. Uh, again, talking about first impressions, echoing or possibly foreshadowing uh, their final notes on the show. The first scene we ever see of Benjen is just like kind of riding in out of nowhere and hanging out with Jon Snow. That's very much how he's going to go. And he makes uh, he says something that is going to be fairly classic in the grand scheme of things. I think uh, the wall isn't going anywhere. Talking about not calling your shot in the accurate sense. Uh, the wall, as we saw in the dragon and the wolf it went somewhere and it it was nowhere good it was very bad <laughs> yeah it did go somewhere one of the other moments that i really love from this first episode is the barbershop scene at winterfell yeah. <laughs> like what yeah. is going on there with john and rob and theon at the barbershop that i guess cat said everybody needs to get a shave before cersei shows up yeah and you know cutting kit harrington's hair before it was a big deal like nobody is like you know their cackles aren't raised no pitchforks and torches are coming out for this but you know call it five seasons later and if you're harming a hair on kit harrington's head like it's all over like all the all the paparazzi are all over it i'm probably writing six stories about it <laughs> you know nobody cared back in uh, in the first episode of the show yeah and game of thrones will come a long way in terms of the effects but i would say that in terms of here in the first season there may be some wonky stuff going on i think that bran climbing and Bran on the roof of Winterfell, I think, uh, was not some of the best effects work that they've done on the show. Maybe not. Maybe not. Can be forgiven because it's the very first episode of the series, but you're probably right on that. Uh, I did get really excited at the prospect of an eventual Jamie and Bran reunion after watching this scene again for the first time in a while, uh, where Jamie pushes Bran out of the window and says, the things I do for love. Classic, classic quote. This episode had a lot of classic quotes. Uh, you know, some of the things that you just remember forever. Uh, all, all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes is another one. A Dothraki wedding without at least three deaths is considered a dull affair. I think those are three of the best quotes that you'll ever find on the show. And here they are in the premiere. Um, but seeing Jamie push Bran out the window and leaving season seven, we know that Jamie is heading north uh, to fight in the war against the White Walkers, where Bran is very much an essential ingredient. Uh, we're speculating like what could possibly happen to Winterfell in the final season premiere. It could get destroyed. Uh, the Starks could be driven out like they might be on the road and like needing help. Like, can you imagine the scenario? where like you know sort of in the same way where Brienne of Tarth came in and saved Sansa in the season six premiere like how ironic would it be if Jamie is instrumental in saving Bran at some point down the line or whatever that reunion is going to look like I'm really amped up to see how that's all going to come together yeah it'll be very fun to see uh, what ultimately happens that the dialogue between uh, Jamie and Bran exists of that uh, Bran is looking in the window and Jamie wants to know how older you and then uh he ends up with his famous uh the things i do for love not sure why he needed to know how old brand was before he pushed him out the window it's just like doing like the the mental calculus of like 
if you're like 13, like I'm definitely pushing you out the window. Like if you're double digits, but like sub 13, like it'll be hard to do, but I'll do it. Like if you were nine, I'm probably going to let you live. In hindsight, should Jamie have tried to talk his way out of this or was it not worth it? This is the thing that uh, anytime I'm kind of reminded of like the early, early Jamie Lannister, it is a little hard to reconcile him with like the more heroic version of the character we're supposedly getting into later on down the line. And the show has not always been great with that anyway, even when it's supposed to be uh, like Jamie's a very complicated character. But I think one that comes off a lot better on the page than he does on screen. And that's not necessarily Nikolai Coster-Waldo's fault. I think that he has, uh, you know, he delivers a really kind of very very memorable turn as jamie lannister but he definitely plays him as like a a pretty straight bad guy in the early going of the show we don't know enough of his backstory at this point we like don't know just how bad he feels about uh like his reputation as the kingslayer and like everything he sacrificed in order to do all that but he doesn't feel so bad about anything you know he does not feel that bad about it doesn't seem like he feels that bad about pushing an 11 year old boy out a window so that's it is hard to reconcile uh even going back and watching that scene but should he have gone with like oh we were just wrestling and see at least his brand was buying it like oh okay wrestling yeah yes that was wrestling we were playing it was a game it was was a a game come on come on come on on. have you seen what happened to my pants did you what happened okay here Uh, i'll race you if you want to climb let's climb let's go but we also get to see a a little bit of a confrontation between jamie and ned in this episode and and uh jamie is inviting ned to participate in a tournament at king's landing uh ned doesn't fight in tournaments he doesn't want the people that he's going to fight with to know what he's capable of doing Turns out he's not capable of much. Well, really not a great. Not, I mean, he was great at the Tower of Joy, but it's been a while. Maybe he should have gone to a couple of tournaments since then. And you know, when he when he fights Jamie later on in the season, like it's, it's a fairly short battle. It is, but it's more that a Lannister man sort of just like spears Ned in the leg. I mean, we don't know how it would have played out. So where is uh, Ned's radar for that kind of thing, right? Yeah, like, well, that wasn't good. Didn't sense that coming? Come on. Yeah, Come on, he did that. not but imagine it, every scenario. But it's exciting to see uh, how much Jamie loathed Ned uh, and just like how anti-Stark Jamie is. Like even as Jamie has become a more likable character, like it's really he's never enjoyed the Starks all that much. No. Uh, and w- when he does get to interact with them, I think that those are typically good scenes. But it's been a very long time since we've had that happen. Uh, and I think Jamie's going to have one or two interactions with Jon Snow before he leaves Winterfell uh, in this next episode that we're going to get into. Uh, but just like seeing how much like he kind of like gives the Starks so much crap. I can't wait to see what he is going to be like when he has to like work with the Starks. Uh, that's coming up in the future, presumably. Uh, so that's a fun dynamic to start like kind of, um, you know, putting your putting your head around as we're watching these early interactions. All right, Josh, anything else from the first episode of Game of Thrones? Winter is coming. I'm sure that we could spend a long time just like diving into into all of it. But I think that we're kind of talking about, you know, a little bit of an overview and just sort of getting our bearings here as we're starting to dig into Game of Thrones again from the jump. What I will say is it was really fun to watch this first episode after uh, being so late in the game, uh, as it were, the Game of Thrones uh, and, and seeing how far these characters have come, like seeing like a young Macy Williams and a young Sophie Turner and especially like a young Isaac Hempstead right before he you know grows up to be a very 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 Giant very man. tall man yeah uh so it was really fun to see the kids in their in their more youthful forms uh and also uh you know we gave season seven of game of thrones a decent amount of crap for its travel by map aspects and just how fast things were going in terms of the storyline but Basically, the Lannisters are on the road from King's Landing uh, to Winterfell, and they get there in, like, the next scene. Granted, they say, like, a month has passed, so they at least acknowledge the passing of time, but... You can't get mad at Game of Thrones for being super fast in its storytelling right now without at least acknowledging there's precedent. Like, right in that very first episode, things move really quickly. Josh, what's coming up in episode number two of Game of Thrones? All right, coming up next, uh, we're going to lose our first direwolf already. Ah. (laughs) I think that happens really quickly. Not good. Uh, 
We're going to get to talk about Joffrey for the first time uh, in a very long time in a meaningful way. Uh, that'll be really great. There's some really great, terrible Joffrey moments yeah. coming up. He comes off very positive in the first episode where Sansa, who, and, and we're all Sansas, we all love Sansa now, but uh, Sansa does not get a great look in this first episode. Comes across very whiny, very bratty here in the pilot. Yeah, Joffrey is the golden boy uh, of this first episode. Coming off smelling like roses. Uh, uh, next episode's also going to see, uh, you know, Ned and Robert are going to be on the King's Road. The episode is literally called The King's Road. And I don't think that that's even necessarily the best road trip of the episode to my memory because John and Tyrion are going to be heading towards Castle Black. And that's going to be the uh, one of the only signs of an early relationship between these two characters that's going to end up being really important given where we go in season seven. It's going to be episodes two and three where we'll have some meaningful John and Tyrion scenes. So I think those will be fun to watch as well. And then there's also the brand assassination attempt is coming up which proved to be fairly relevant uh certainly the valerian to steel dagger yep it's gonna make its first appearance so that's coming up here in just a little bit little fingers dagger little fingers dagger and we will really do a deep dive into everything that people talk about the origins of that dagger to see if it makes any sense that it was actually little fingers yeah yeah that's fine that's fine (laughs) we'll track that we'll definitely track that for sure all right very exciting stuff of course you can send us your emails and uh we will get into your questions g-o-t at postshowrecaps.com if you have a question about the second episode or even anything that we missed here from the first episode i think we can double back if necessary so feel free to share your thoughts josh you have an idea for the hashtag Ooh, idea for the hashtag what uh, was your house cat stark no well, <laughs> that might be tough to spell oh yeah no slice left behind no slice left behind blonde Tyrion uh, is also an option god let's just try and forget that as much as we can clodor is an option yeah you know we missed that for the throne so I feel like that in honor of Blonde Tyrion, who we're trying to forget, uh, let's close the door on Blonde Tyrion. Hashtag Clodor. I like it. I like that a lot. All right. Uh, great stuff. Of course, uh, you could follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at Round Howard uh, to uh, get the latest on everything he is doing, podcasting and for THR. Uh, we'll be following the Game of Thrones. Uh, basically, uh, that's a 12-month out-of-the-year sport for you. It's a fun sport. I like it. And this is going to be a really fun way to keep the ball up in the air. So I'm excited about that. We'll have good stuff on the Game of Thrones front over at THR.com slash Game of Thrones. So follow along if you're not doing so already. We'll have a new episode every Tuesday until we run out of episodes. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Of course, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes and check out everything that we're doing over on postshowrecaps.com, including uh, we are just about to launch a new series that I am going to begin talking some Star Trek as we get ready for Star Trek Discovery coming to CBS All Access later this month oh my god beam me up rob i'm in all right so very exciting there uh the crossroads of that will be when we get to dorn and deep space nine if we can do that uh that'll be fantastic all right take care everybody have a good one bye